Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 482 with the triumphant return of David Allen. Yes, that David Allen of Getting Things Done or GTD fame. He has some additional perspective on his legendary system and how to make it all the more approachable for folks. I've had requests in the survey from Mark, from Jay Bass, from Graham, and from a few people who didn't share their names. That's fine. That you want to hear more from David Allen. Well, we got him. So I'm excited to have that to share. And and once again, boy, whenever I chat with him or review his stuff, um, boy, just things get clearer. Anxiety slips away and I am getting more in the groove of understanding what I want to engage with, what I want to not engage with and feeling good about it, having more of a mind like water, as he says. So good stuff. You'll learn one, GTD in a nutshell. Two, the saving power of an external brain. And three, two power questions for prioritizing. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, it's on over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F482. Now here's David's story. David Allen is an international best-selling author who is widely recognized as the world's leading expert on personal and organizational productivity. He wrote the international bestseller, Getting Things Done, which has been published in over 28 languages. Time Magazine heralded it as the defining self-help business book of its time. He and his wife, Catherine, run the David Allen Company, which oversees the Certification Academy and quality standards for global partners, offering Getting Things Done courses and coaching around the world. So thanks to David for coming back on and thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, and small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's David. David, welcome back to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Pete, thanks for inviting me again. Yay, glad to be here. Oh, well, I am too. And, and I'll tell you, boy, it's been quite a ride since uh, we had you in episode 15. That's uh, over three years ago. And so I'd, I'd love to get a quick little update in terms of how's Amsterdam living and, and what's been sort of your uh, new learnings over the last three years? Wow. Well, yeah, let's see. you got a couple of years, and I can fill you in, but uh, I'll try to get a freeze-dried version of all that. We loved Amsterdam from the beginning. We've been here a couple of times. We moved here five years ago. We didn't know how long we'd stay, but we kept falling in love with the city and haven't fallen out of love with it and absolutely love the lifestyle here, love just lots of things about it, kind of a perfect storm for us in terms of what matches our interest in our lifestyle and our age. So... Um, you know, we intend to stay. So it's, uh, it's wonderful. Yay. 
And you have a new puppy, Anouk. How's that going? Anouk is fabulous. She's four months old. We found a good breeder. Catherine was sort of, well, we could rescue a dog maybe, but I, I so love the Cavalier King Charles Spaniel breed. Uh, that was our last dog that we had to put down. And uh, so I said, I got to get another one of those. So we got another one. She's very shy. She grew up in the country. We found a, a good breeder, but they were in Germany. So, But she'd grown up for 14 weeks on a farm, sort of about the noisiest, busiest thing was a goat farm next door. <laughs> you know, so we had to, in, we had to integrate her into the city. I mean, you don't realize how many noises and things and moving things and whatever there are in a city that a puppy has to deal with. So anyway, long story short, but she's great. She's learning day by day, get more comfortable with all kinds of stuff. So we're in the process of socializing today. I sat out for half an hour on our, a bridge right on the canal that we, that we live on and sat there for half an hour letting people greet her and treating her if she didn't run away from them and, you know, sort of helping, helping socialize and train her. So mm -hmm. that's a whole job in itself. Anybody listening to this who's ever been to the dog world, you know what's involved with all that. That was a bit of my day today and other things were cleaning up some old stuff. I kind of ran into a, an abrupt, suddenly my life became very quiet. <laughs> you, know, you know, we did the GTD Global Summit. Uh, about six weeks ago here in Amsterdam, and that was like a two-year project, and I'm still kind of decompressing from uh, what a huge event and huge investment and huge interest and, and sort of engagement that I had with what that was about and why. So I had a couple of other uh, gigs that I had to do after that, but, but otherwise, you know, kind of life just kind of quieted out for a while, so it's nice. So I'm in kind of a, a bit of a decompression mode and going back and cleaning up a whole lot of my old someday maybe stuff off my list and, you know, a bunch of things, you know, it's kind of old. It's time to, you know, when, when things quiet down, it's time to go back and clean a drawer, you know, curate a bunch of old stuff that's accumulated that you haven't had time to do or interested in doing. So I've been doing that. Oh, absolutely. And sometimes it's just very cathartic in terms of at last this drawer yeah, <laughs> is yeah, no, getting right. handled. Well, it's like cleaning the, cleaning the boot or the trunk of your car, you know, it drives better, you know, once you do that, you know, mm -hmm. so, or, or that weird electronics drawer we all have, you know, that's just collected all the weird, strange things that you couldn't throw away that you might need, you know, at some point. All those cords and adapters. Yeah, all the cords and chargers <laughs> and all that, all that stuff, yeah, for sure. Well, did anything sort of groundbreaking occur at the World Summit with regard to, you know, the future of, of, of GTD or uh, announcements? Yeah, you know, Pete, I think the major ground thing, and the reason I did it, I didn't plan to do another one. We did one 10 years ago in San Francisco, and it really didn't plan. That's not the business I'm in is doing those kind of conferences. But 10 years on, and now we're officially represented by licensees and, tra and master trainers in 70 countries around the world. So it's kind of, we've kind of grown to that level, but there's not been, nobody's really raised a flag yet to kind of, hey guys, we're all in this game together. The train has left the station. GTD is a global event. So whether I fall over tomorrow or not, this will keep going. And so I think the milestone was making that kind of global statement and having the, you know, incredible raft of 45 presenters that we had on their own time and dime that came that are friends of mine and all champions of my stuff. People like Marshall Goldsmith and Charles Duig and just all kinds of folks that are serious heavyweights in their own fields and in their own right. So that I think really helped give the world, you know, the idea that, you know, come on, the trains, as I say, has left the station. So GTD and, and, and a world where there are no problems only projects 
you know, as a consciousness and as a cognitive sort of algorithm, if you will, you know, is now onto the planet. At least I feel, felt like I've done my job in doing that. And so this was sort of a capstone event. Come on, I'm 73, you know, P, so I, I figure mm-hmm. I'm not going to do another one. But this was a nice way to sort of just put the, I don't know if it's icing, I don't know what the term is, would be, but kind of icing on the cake or to make sure that it's solid in the ground now as a global movement. Well, that's just got to be very rewarding just to, to look back on, on sort of the, the imprint you're, you're leaving on the world. What's that like? Bemusing, really. It's like, really? How, did I do that? Like, <laughs> wow, who'd have thought? It was not a big strategic plan. I just kept holding the course in terms of my own interest and what I wanted to do and just staying as authentic as I could about what it was I was uncovering and discovering and then finding you know, can I find people who are interested in doing this and understanding what it is and a better ways to do that? And then discovering at some point, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, that it was possible potentially to scale this as a best practice methodology for people around the world. And so that's been a lot of our job has been and, and, and my, our work has been over the last, you know, 10 or 15 years to figure out ways to do that. Well, you got back on my radar in terms of this interview for the the upcoming GTD workbook, and so so I want to talk about that. But but first, I think maybe I need to to zoom out uh, for those listeners who didn't catch uh, episode fifteen over three years ago or, or haven't heard of uh, getting things done GTD. Could you provide the somewhere between twenty second and two minute overview for this is what we're talking about here? Sure. Well, basically, it was I uncovered discovered, recognized the best practices about how do you keep your head clear so you can stay focused on whatever you want to stay focused on. That's the most productive state to operate from is when your head is clear and you're not distracted. But where do your distractions come from? For the most part, they come from commitments you've made that are not complete yet. And so most people are are trying to use their head as their office to try to manage reminders and things they need to keep track of and relationships between things and prioritize. And your head is a really crappy office. So a whole lot of what GTD is about is being able to externalize all those things that have your attention, building an external brain system so that much like your calendar, your head doesn't have to keep remembering where you need to be two weeks from Wednesday at two o'clock. You trust you have a system that does that and has the right uh, content. But if that works for your calendar, why, why shouldn't it work the rest of your life? So this was a way to sort of build what's the formula, what are the best practices and the steps to build an appropriate external brain to keep all of your commitments, all of your would, could, shoulds, et cetera, out of your head so that your head is freed up to do what it was designed to do, which is make good, intuitive, intelligent choices off your options, not to try to remember what your options are. So that's a lot of what GTD is about, as I uncovered over all these years, was a way to be able to build a systematic way to keep your head empty. Even though you haven't finished stuff, they don't have to be on your mind as long as you're appropriately engaged with them. So I discovered essentially the algorithm about how do I create appropriate engagements with all these things that have my attention, whether it's cat food I need or a life I need or vice president of marketing I need or, you know, the next vacation we need to plan and organize, whatever it is, you know, that's that you, you can't finish the moment you think of it, but you have attention on it and need to do something about it. I just figured out the best, most efficient, effective way to make sure that you manage those things appropriately. And you've got a great turn of a phrase, and, and I think it's something like, your brain is for having ideas, not for remembering them. Am mm-hmm. I quoting you correctly? Yeah. It's not for holding. Oh, not having holding. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like marriage, having holding. Yeah. <laughs> well, come on now. The, the cognitive scientists have validated the last 10 years what I uncovered 35 years ago, which is your head just does not do that very well. 
And they've now discovered if you're trying to keep track of just in your head, things you want to be reminded about, things you need to manage relationships between and so forth. If it's more than four, you're going to sub-optimize your cognitive function. You will not be able to function as well as if you had all that out of your head because your head's going to be distracted by it. That part of your head that's trying to hang on to that stuff seems to have no sense of past or future. So you'd be waked up at three o'clock in the morning by, I need cat food or I need an extended credit line. And both of them would take about the same space and show up at the weirdest random times when you can't do anything about them. You just add stress to your life. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's just really, in a sense, it's a kind of a mechanical process. It's pretty subtle, but it's just mechanical. Yeah, absolutely. When you talk about an external brain, you know, that could be anything from uh, a paper calendar and, and set of lists or some, some fancy technological stuff or anywhere in between. Or Pete, it could be as simple as put stuff in front of your door in the morning so you don't forget it taking you to the office. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> absolutely. There it is. You can't uh, not see it. It's in your path. Right. Cool. Well, so I want to get your take on, so I I believe uh, Getting Things Done came out originally, the book, in in 2001. Is that true? Mm -hmm. And so 18 years have passed. Have you changed your mind on on anything? A few things. I felt that the the first edition was going to start to seem a little out of date for people, given some of the some of the notations I made, some of the references I did, especially to technology, as well as over 18 years. I sort of got a little more subtle understanding the power of what this methodology was and its implications and applications. How, you know, over the years, I mean, the legions of testimonials of how transformative this has been for so many of the smartest, brightest, sharpest people you could ever meet once they ran across this. Then, you know, sort of understanding a more subtle level of how powerful it was and why. What probably changed most, Pete, was the range of audience. You know, in 2001, the first edition was really targeted to the fast-track professional because they were the ones getting hit with the tsunami of email and, and sort of the flood of, you know, corporate changes and things like that going on. And, you know, that was the world I came from, was it came out of for 25 years doing a whole lot of corporate training and executive coaching with this material. So it was really targeted at that audience. But I knew even back then that it, this worked for students, it worked for clergy, it worked for physicians, it worked for stay-at-home dads, it worked for anybody, anybody who had a busy life. You know, this was just a cataloging of what are those practices if they want to stay clearer and more stress-free about that, what to do. So the new edition, I literally sat down and rewrote the whole book and saying, is that the way I would say it now? And, you know, probably 50, 70% of it, yeah. So I just retyped what the first edition was because I wouldn't say it any, you know, I said it as good as could be said. But there was, you know, a few nuances and subtleties and kind of change of language that I used to express a, a bit more of the subtleties, you know, of what GTD is and was and, and so forth. And I also included, you know, some, some of the information in the cognitive science that validates all this and, you know, some other things. And so then with the, the workbook coming out here, what was the impetus for that? I'm not a great trainer. I'm a pretty good presenter, but I don't have the patience to sit and hold people's hand and actually walk them into how to do this. I gave him the model. I mean, the, basically, the, you know, I wrote the getting things done basically as a manual of 25 years of my 30 years of my work and my awareness that if you really wanted to have an absolutely clear head and stay that way, you know, for the rest of your life, you know, here are the best practices about how to do that. You know, and that can get pretty subtle. It depends on how complex your life is. But I, I handled all of that. I put all that in the manual. But for a whole lot of people, that is just too daunting. They just pick it up and go, oh, my God, that's too much to do. And so, you know, I can be a good presenter and people walk out and say, wow, that was really great. But they don't do much about it. 
mm. because I'm I'm not really a good trainer or instructional designer about how to how to get people to. I mean, there's a big difference between presenting and training. Training says, okay, how do I get people to actually have a different behavior? And then you know, presenting is says, ta da! You know, I just want to make sure people get kind of get, you're inspired now. <laughs> yeah, kind of get that, and we're they're inspired. They at least see the model, and they see there is a model out there, but it doesn't help them implement it. So for the last 10 years, we've been working with a lot of instructional designers, and I've had to kind of swallow hard and go, gulp, okay, they want to simplify this. I've got to simplify it. I have to I have to get it down to the lower the barrier of entry for people to be able to get into this instead of having them sort of grok or get the whole thing. And how, how do you start? How do you get going? And I just don't have the patience or awareness or, or education to be able to know how to do that. So what we've done is engage people in various forms to help us take our educational formats and make them much more easily available for people to actually play. So the workbook was, you know, pretty much of the model of many business books out there have created a workbook after the fact for people to help them implement what they read. And so that's why we did this. And so then I'm intrigued if, so it's more approachable and a lower beard entry, you can sort of uh, rock and roll. So if, uh, if a current uh, getting things done practitioner is uh, looking through it, you know, how do you think they'll be enriched or will they just be like, you already know all of this? Well, it depends on <laughs> when people say they are GTDers, you know, I can give you about 6,000 levels of that, that people are and say they are, but they actually aren't. So it kind of depends on where they are in that level of game. But generally speaking, I'd say if, if you're a really practiced GTDer, you probably don't need it. But I just got interviewed by a guy who's been serious GTD or he's read all my books. He's implemented my stuff for 10 or 15 years. And he said, oh my God, this is so cool. I now have a way to coach my wife into this. Yeah, that's helpful. Yeah, for other people. And so at least it's a manual. So it's not something that was going to replace anything, going to give them perhaps another model, especially if they've got people around them, whether that's kids or spouse or staff or whatever, to help people kind of get started for, with this you know, in the process. Because many people who are big GTDers are wondering why nobody around them gets it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that's well said. And because in a way, I think it's over like you just have to sort of taste and see with regard to, you know, that sort of low level anxiety that's always around you in your head that can be gone. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> Most people don't realize that either that, that they have it or even yeah. if they do, they don't realize they could actually get rid of it. So that's kind of the marketing problem we have. Okay. So, well, I'm curious then you, you lay out 10 moves to stress-free productivity. What are those 10 moves? Well, they're actually, I talk about them in the book. I mean, if you really, really wanted to implement this in part two of getting things done, it actually walks people through the very specific one-on-one -on -one coaching process, you know, that I spent thousands of hours, you know, working with, you know, senior executives actually walking through that process. So this is just a kind of a starting version of what we would do with that. So there's nothing different here other than what the real implementation is. But for instance, the first move is just to go, okay, make sure you have an, an entry, uh, some place to do it and look, look around your desk in and on and around your desk and wherever's around you, the stuff that doesn't belong wherever it is permanently, throw it in your in basket. Right? Post-its, the, the, the paper sitting on your desk, the things that have you know hung up on the first flat surface inside your door in your house, you know, all that, any of that stuff, and just gather it together. So that's move one. And then move two has to do with, well, wait a minute, a whole lot of that stuff's in your head, so you better have some sort of a tool to capture stuff that internally shows up. So you need to make sure you get your capture tool. 
That's move two. And then you do move three is to empty your head into those capture tools or into that capture tool to a mind sweep, right? Then once you've done all that, then you need to start to get that stuff to empty. You don't just pile it up and leave it there. You then need to move to the, okay, how do I clarify what's what I just, all the notes that I took, all the stuff I gathered around the sitting of my desk, making those decisions. Then how do you do that to your email? Because emails were the big bugaboo for a lot of people out there in terms of stuff they've captured. They've been, it's been captured for them, but they haven't clarified or organized it yet. And then, you know, how do you create some list? Once you make the decisions and clarification, what are the actions needed? What are the projects embedded in this? Then you need to create some lists, move six and seven and eight, or about how do I organize now all that? the results of that and then move nine and 10 are about, okay, how do I kind of keep this going and make sure this stays in a live and well system? So nothing new. It's just, we tried to reduce it or freeze dry it, if you will, to the basic moves about how to get started. So you don't need a huge investment to do what I just said, but you do need to do something with it. And we need to walk you through the process, you know, of how to do that pretty easily. Well, I do want to touch on email for a moment here because Well, I guess over the course of my life, I have emailed you on three separate occasions and every time you picked it up and ran with it and and we made something happen. So you you, you walk the talk. (laughs) You are, in fact, getting things done. I'm believe me, I'm fellow student. Trust me, I, I have to do this as well as anybody has to do this to keep their head clear. And so then I'm curious, like, what is the, so we, we've talked about the benefit, sort of the outcome is like, okay, so there's a sense of, of peace, of, of maximum cognitive function, the, the stress and malaise of, of constantly remembering stuff is gone and, and your uh, mind like water, I believe is a, a phrase you like to use there. So it's a real good, a real good outcome when you're on the, on the wagon, executing it. But could you share with us, you know, what's sort of the the cost, if you will, in terms of, of the investment? What does it take for you to to rock your email and more so well in terms of maybe, uh, you could say hours a day or hours a week of processing and, and reviewing time? How do you think about that? Pete, this is not extra work. I would have to do this no matter how I did it. You would too. Because you want to let it pile up until it explodes and then decide what to do with it. <laughs> people get mad at me for their list i'm going excuse me dude that's not my list that's yours <laughs> right i don't tell people to do anything extra other than what they need to do themselves they know that they know they need to decide what to do about mom's birthday they know they need to decide what to do they know what, that they need to do something about that all i'm getting to do is become conscious about it you know so this is not extra work how much time does it take to stay conscious in your life maybe that's the best question yeah here so so you're saying you're going to address that email at some point. Of course. Or you can just, you, you could do email bankruptcy, con, you know, control A, control <laughs> X and pray. <laughs> they all go away. You're, yeah. you're right. I think maybe what they don't like is that you're you're showing them reality. It's like you're putting a, a mirror right up to their faces. I know. And say, this is what you're committed to. How about that? <laughs> right. And what are you going to do about it? And what does it mean to you? Is that trash? Why are you keeping stuff around you ought to throw away, dude? Come on, you know, it's so it's really about just becoming conscious about things you've let come into your ecosystem that own a piece of your consciousness until you appropriately engage with them. That's really the secret of what I found out about how do you do that. Well, and I think as we talk about the aggravation reaction there, I think there's some richness to that. It's sort of like you shine a mirror. It's like, okay, uh, this is all the stuff that you're committed to. And then I think it's almost like the reality becomes all the more clear that, oh, wait, no. I can't do all of those things. 
because my time, energy, attention, sanity would be, you know, maxed out and, and overwhelmed to do so. So then uh, once you're in a good spot of, all right, I, I got the lay of the land, all the stuff is captured. How do you think about prioritizing well with regard to, I can let that go now, uh, knowing what I know about the whole lay of the land? Well, how many things are you not doing right now, Pete, while you're talking to me? Well, I suppose everything else in the universe <laughs> other than talking to you. Well, if you haven't looked at what you're not doing, there's a part of you that has a trouble staying present with me. So, you know, I don't have any trouble being present with you because not long ago, I looked at every single thing else I might ought to do. And I said, you're it. Mm -hmm. But you can only feel good about what you're not doing when you know what you're not doing. Yeah. So most people don't have a clue. So a lot of what GTD is about is why don't you get a clue about all of the things you've committed to and then look at them and go, no, or not right now or whatever. And then renegotiate those agreements with yourself moment to moment so that some part of you can feel, no, this is not time to run my errands. The stores are closed. And no, I, I can't talk to my life partner right now because he or she's you know, out of the seminar right now. No, I can't do xyz because my server's down and so i can't even get into the, the internet mm -hmm. so you know just looking around it's called what's my environment what are my possible options but if you're trying to use your brain to try to remember what your options are given the complexity of those contexts good luck yeah understood certainly so so context alone uh, makes it real easy in terms of those are impossible right now so no need to uh, give that a further bit of thought sure uh, but then when you find yourself in a world where you, there are many things you could choose from you know you mentioned hey what's your energy level or how wasted are you you know is, is another uh, useful sure prioritizing uh, guideline uh, but what are some others are, have you found working with clients uh, are there any sort of like power questions that uh, I sort of separate you know true top priorities from the rest in a jiffy well sure one version of that is why are you on the planet Pete what are you here to do mm -hmm. and so which email do you think is most important for you to write first tonight so there's the power question it's called what's your purpose yeah like what's really core to you in terms of who you're about what you're about why you're here any of that stuff on a more practical level in terms of how I manage that, it's called what's most got my attention right now. And so therefore, you know, what do I need to do to get back to clear again? Mm -hmm. So, and either the answer to what's got my attention right now may be what is my life purpose and I need to sit down or go off site and spend, a, you know, two days in, you know, in, in silence and figure that out. Or what's most got my attention right now is my dog, in which case I need to go handle that so that I'm free back up. So when I cook spaghetti tonight, you know, I've got a clear head. Mm -hmm. Any one of those could be the priority. Well, how many different things do you think you're doing today, Pete? How many different activities or things you put your attention on do you think you will have in a 24-hour period? Because every one of those is a priority decision at that moment. Yes. That's good. And now I'm chewing on, you know, say what's most got your attention is an awesome prioritizing bit because it's like, oh, you know, that might take five, 10 minutes, you know, dog is handled and now you're, you're back and, and clear and ready to go. I'm curious about what about some of those sort of ruminating type things like uh, what's most got my attention? Well, it's how am I going to, I don't know, uh, grow a business such that it is uh, sufficiently profitable right. to provide for, you know, a, a growing family. Well, as a coach, I give you a very simple question. What's your next action, Pete? There you go. What would you need to do to get clear about that? Do you need to draft ideas? Do you need to surf the web? Do you need to set a meeting? Do you, what would you do to move forward on that? Mm -hmm. As opposed to sit there and spin because you're so bright and conscious and intelligent and sensitive, you just freak oh. yourself out <laughs> by all the stuff you think you might have to do in order to be able to do that. So you procrastinate. 
Certainly. And so, and I have found this and, and that's your experience with clients is that just by having identified the next action, there is a sense of peace there because it's like, now there's no wondering what's the thing. It, it's just there for you to pick up, you know, when you're ready to pick it up. Well, you finish your thinking. Mm-hmm. If there's anything you're committed to do to change or to do anything about that's not done currently or to have different in any way, and you have any commitment about that, if you haven't decided the next physical, visible action, you haven't finished your thinking and decision-making about it. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's such a powerful thing to do is figure that out. Is that a phone call? Is that a surf the web? Is that it might talk to my life partner? What, what the heck is, what that's the very next thing I need to do. Once you've made that decision, it may not be the right one. There may be a better decision, but at least you can move on that one and you can change your mind. But at least your mind goes, ah, okay, I'm now appropriately engaged with it. Assuming also that you've also captured the outcome you're committed to about this. So outcome and action thinking are the zeros, ones in, uh, of productivity. What are we trying to do and how do we allocate or reallocate resources to make that happen? That's why that's such a key element of getting things done. Mm-hmm. Well, gee, that email, what's the next action on it? By the way, will that one action finish whatever this commitment is that's about this embedded in that? No, not yet. Okay, great. What's your project? Oh, I guess I need to research whether we should hire a consultant for our financial yada yada yada. Right. Mm-hmm. So outcome and action. Once you decide the next step, well, great. Will that finish whatever this is about? And if not, you better keep track of whatever the outcome or the project is until it's done. So that's part of the clarification step where you say, okay, how do I get my in basket empty? And you do it by actually having to think. <laughs> you actually have to <laughs> use your mind to decide what the hell am I going to do about mom's birthday or extend the credit line. And I love how you suggest that when you're writing out these action lists, you don't just write mom. <laughs> right. It's rather, it's a verb and, and it's a clear view of uh, sort of, hey, decide what to do for mom's birthday or call my brother d- to see uh, what he's thinking for mom's birthday. Right. And, and that reduces a lot of the friction and resistance there. Right. Well, there's magic in the mundane. So the kind of paradoxical thing is that I figured out how do you manage the mundane most elegantly and efficiently? And it turns out that there's a lot of elegance that happens to that and to yourself when you do that. You know, get you to get to think from a much more grounded place and opens up a lot more of your creative thinking. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to the email for a bit here. So there's some prioritizing questions in terms of like your your life's purpose, and then what's the next action? What's most got my attention now? And, and so then when you've when you've got those things clear and you're and you're cranking through uh, an inbox, I mean, do, are you doing anything special, or is is that just it? You you just sort of know what's important, and and you just go to town with them. Yes, basically, I do. I just have a sense of what's important go to town with whatever I feel like doing at the moment. But the, the key to that is the weekly review. Mm-hmm. Once a week, I step back and look across the horizon of all of these things. Because see, Pete, you and I don't have time to think. We need to have already thought. So when you get off this call with me, you don't have time to think. You need to have already thought, meaning it's going to come at you. You're going to have emails that have been piling up while you've been, you and I have been talking. Me too. And the dog, I don't know what the dog's doing. And I'm going to have to figure out what the dog's doing right now. So I don't have time to think. I just need to act and respond appropriately. But I can only do that if I've sort of hardwired my intuitive intelligence by doing some sort of a regular recursion of stepping back and looking across all my projects, all my actions, all my calendared stuff. And that's the weekly review. That's what we've uncovered, as you probably know. You know, that's a whole lot of what the, you know, one of the more profound habits 
and difficult habits to train yourself to do is once a week, take one to two hours and pull up the rear guard and sort of lift up and manage the forest instead of hugging the trees. Mm -hmm. And that's a challenging thing to do. But if you actually can do that, if you can build in that habit and you've got a reasonably good system that has enough of the content for you to review and feel comfortable, you've seen the whole gestalt or the whole inventory, then that makes it much easier to then not have to think priorities on a day-to-day, minute-to-minute basis. Mm-hmm. You need to have already done that and then trust that your intuitive responses will be appropriate. Yes. And I find that the weekly review habit has been a tricky one in that sometimes I'm with it, sometimes I fall off and then I, I'm back with it. What have you seen to be sort of the, the difference makers with regard to those who consistently do their, their weekly review and those who do not? Yeah, I don't know. I don't have the answer <laughs> to that. You know, it's it's like, who knows? I think the people who really get how powerful it is there are a few of them have built it in very soon as a just an inviolable habit where they just do not let anything get in the way of them doing that. I let it slip sometimes a week or two or three. If I'm on a real roll and I just think, yeah, I, I check in to make sure there's no burning barns that I'm going to miss. Uh, so it's something to bring yourself back to because it's one of those things you just never feel like you have the time to do. So it's one of those paradoxes is kind of when you feel like you don't have time, that's when you have to take the time you know, to do that. It's mm-hmm. kind of like when you most feel like you don't have time to plan is when you most need to sit down and plan. You know, so yeah. it's, it's, it's one of those things where you have to sort of train yourself to say, wait a minute, a reference point inside of me is when does my ambient anxiety out past my comfort zone? And that's when I need to sit down and do a weekly review. Yeah, that's a good. Well, David, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear a, a couple of your favorite things. Oh, no, just if people want more interest in, they're interested in any of this and you're, wherever you're listening to this from around the world, we now have, you know, master trainers and coaches and folks that we've certified to deliver this methodology and training programs and coaching, one-on-one coaching programs around the world. So you go to gettingthingsdone.com, our website, look under training and coaching and you'll see 70 countries and kind of wherever you are, you'll see public seminars, you'll see whoever our folks are in those areas. So that's a way to get in touch with this. If you're, if you haven't read the getting things done, the book, it it is the manual. So highly recommend it. And again, I'm not sure when this is going to air Pete, but uh, September getting things done workbook will be out and available at least in the U S I think in the UK as well. Mm -hmm. And so those are ways to kind of stay in touch and what to do. So that's, what I'd let people know if this rung their bell about anything. Yay. Cool. And now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Oh my God, a favorite quote. God, I have 14,000 that I've collected in the quotes database. Cool. How do I find a, a favorite one hmm. of those? I don't know. Anything that Bernard Shaw or Oscar Wilde or, or Mark Twain has said is favorite. All right. I love Mark Twain's, you know, my life has been full of all kinds of troubles, most of which never happened. <laughs> I guess that's a pretty favorite one of mine. Oh, I think about all the arguments I've had with only myself. <laughs> uh, thank you. Uh, and how about a favorite book? One I've read recently, I highly recommend. It's called The Antidote by Oliver Berkman. He's a Brit. It's, the subtitle is great. It's happiness for people who can't stand positive thinking. Mm. So it's a <laughs> lot about, actually, the book is much more sophisticated than the subtitle may may represent he he goes into a lot of what was the essence of stoic of the stoics and the stoicism the whole idea that he's kind of railing he's got a little bit of a rant against all the rah-rah sis-boom-bod don't have any negative thoughts everything's going to be cool just think positive things whatever and life will be cool and yet those churches that are preaching that were went bankrupt 
you know, and mm-hmm. th- so a whole lot of, of it, it's about acceptance it, it kind of what you resist, you're stuck with. So don't try to pretend that you don't have troubles and anxieties and stuff you got to deal with in your life. You need to accept them so you can actually move past them, move beyond them because what you resist, you're stuck with. So in a way, it just validates why a lot of people resist getting things done simply because as we started this conversation about a, a lot of it's about accepting all of your commitments and who you are, what you've committed to. Mm-hmm. And you know, a lot of people don't like that. But anyway, it's a great book. It's fun. My wife burst out laughing while she was reading. She does that very seldom with any books. And it's well-written, fun, interesting stuff. So Oliver Berkman, The Antidote, highly recommend it. Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite tool? Favorite tool? I don't know. There's my labeler. There's my iPad. There's my, my iPhone, my Mac, my my stapler, my, you know, God, I got all kinds of favorite tools around here. Can I hear, is the stapler special? What makes it amazing? I could bang it. It's one of those, it's an ace one that has the little, the sort of where you can use your fist and bang down on it and staple it. I so much like that as opposed to those where you have to squeeze it to staple it. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, I hear you. I love (laughs) bang and staple. That's really cool. And my Dymo plug and play labeler is fabulous. Couldn't live without it. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah. Their heads for having ideas, not for holding them. All right. David, thank you. This has been lots of fun. Keep on doing the great things you're doing. Thanks, Pete. Been fun. Yeah, indeed. I appreciated David's tough love with regard to it's not my list, it's your list. And, and that could be kind of hard to hear, but it's so the truth. And I was digging his prioritization questions a bunch in terms of what's got my attention right now. And and boy, there are things that it could only take a moment to handle, but they consume our attention over and over and over again. And so by focusing on that question, I was able to, to zero in on, hey, you know what? I've wanted to get things arranged for uh, the baptism of our sweet little Mary daughter. And uh, that's, <laughs> it just kind of keeps getting postponed, postponed, postponed. Because it's like, oh, well, I got to coordinate with the godparents and with the church and with the priest and with grandparents and more and make sure the date works for everybody and church and get it all going. And I don't know if I want to start just like this giant email or text chain back and forth. This date doesn't work. And so I just built this whole thing up in my mind, which really didn't need to be that way. But you just started thinking, okay, well, what's the next action? All right. Well, I'm going to see what dates work for these critical folks. And then uh, before I knew it, uh, this was handled and is not sort of interrupting my attention kind of just about every day as it has for weeks when I just sort of spent a few minutes. It was literally less than 15 total minutes to to get this in motion and kind of my attention off of it. So powerful questions. What's your purpose in life? What's got your attention? What's the next action? Mm, make a world a difference. So, so good stuff from David. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep four eight. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe. You'll catch our next guest. Near Isle is coming back, talking about how to be indistractable. I hope to catch you there. But if you need something to listen to before then, something to tide you over, maybe another productivity fix, I recommend Beyond the To-Do List with Eric Fisher. I can see from their survey that we already have a lot of overlap between Beyond the To-Do List and How to Be Awesome at Your Job. So you might already know the show, but if you don't, I'd say totally check it out. It was, in fact, a core bit of inspiration. He's been going longer than I have when I was wondering, does anyone really care about this stuff? Would they listen to a show about these kinds of things, talking to these kinds of people? And I said, oh, hey, yeah, 
people would because Eric Fisher's Beyond the To-Do List, I guess three and a half years ago, was doing pretty okay and had a couple of guests that I had planned to speak with. And I found that very encouraging that a normal dude who has a lot of curiosity and enthusiasm and passion, who asks solid questions of folks to boost your performance, uh, can have a show that is is meaningfully serving uh, a good chunk of people. So anyway, fast forward, uh, he's been on the show a couple times. I've been on his show just recently. You can check it, uh, it out. Uh, it aired right here in late August. You can peep that episode or more. He's also interviewed David Allen multiple times. So we share that in common. It's called Beyond the to-do list with Eric Fisher, a fine show to check out. Until next time, peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 